You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Good evening, everybody. It is Thursday, February 17th, and we're happy you're joining us once again on Social Justice, a conversation. I'm Lana Weatherald, a law student here at UNLV's Boyd School of Law, joined alongside my former professor and current professor here at Boyd School of Law as well, as well as UNLV's Honors College. That's Professor Charles Stanton. Today we have, you know, we hate to start the show like this, but we do have to report on another mass shooting here in America. Um, I'm going to have the professor sort of give you some details, and of course, we'll, you know, we we feel that if we aren't talking about it, we're not bringing the sort of awareness that these sort of issues need. And if, you know, everybody refuses to believe and acknowledge that these things are real and happening and that these are real lives and we don't talk about these things, then who will? So with that, um, I'm going to pass it on over to the professor. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lana. Good evening, everybody. Yes, um, this has become a sad but regular part of our show. Uh, And uh, again, uh, we seem to become numb to all these different atrocities that are being committed, uh, not only in the the college or milieu, but also all throughout our society. Um, Apparently, there's a plan uh, in the Michigan legislature, because now the Democratic Party has majorities in both houses of the Michigan legislature to try to regulate uh, gun usage, gun ownership, uh, and all those related issues. Now, whether or not that's something that can actually uh, uh, come to a legislation that will be uh, uh, held up, uh, held uh, valid by the courts down the road, I do not know. Um, Michigan is a very interesting state because you have uh, a Democratic part of Michigan, which is the Detroit area, Flint, and places like that. And then you have another part of the state, which is very rural, and Michigan is is a hunting state. Michigan, in many places, is a gun state. Uh, Hunting and and, and those things attendant to the use of a gun are are not considered anything abnormal or out of the usual. I remember a number of years ago when I read uh, uh, Charlton Heston's autobiography, and he's on the uh, 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 cover of the book uh, with a hunting rifle, and and that's how and that's how he grew up. He grew up hunting and and you know doing all the rest of those things. Um, but again, a lot of it is a lot of it is to actually come to fruition as a law depends on the approach that's made and how it's framed by the people who want sensible gun control. Uh, sensible gun control is not depriving someone of, a right, of the right to protect their home, and sensible gun control is not uh, uh, a, a, a thesis. Atta- yeah, I, I think people, they view sensible gun control, you're 100% on the right track, as an attack on sport and mm-hmm. recreation, yeah. which would never be the intention. And I think, uh, you know, a machine gun is a lot different than mm-hmm. a sawed-off shotgun. Right. Um, and they have very different purposes. And I think, yeah, so much of the conversation is not nuanced, like how I think I believe you and I have been Mm -hmm. having on this show for however many weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, The conversation is much more 
black and white and it's much more they mm-hmm. want to come and swoop up all your guns wholesale they're going to knock on your doors or god forbid of some sort of buyback program that they all think is on the horizon mm-hmm. i mean that's just really not the reality of what i think like you say common sense gun control is yeah i i think i think a lot of that has been a, a lack of like good messaging right by the by the uh, uh people who want sensible gun control um, because uh, clearly, when you get right down to it, if you sat down and debated with pretty much anybody who even believes in, you know, completely unlimited gun usage, what would their justification be for having an assault weapon? What would their justification or explanation be for the purpose of having such a gun? So I think I think that I think that's where it needs to go. Uh, and I think the other issue that you have now is um, because it happened on a college campus. How do you keep a college campus safe for the students and the faculty and the visitors? They propose things like the metal detectors or with the teachers having guns or with, I mean, all, all, everything that I have seen that people have, you know, coined common sense Mm -hmm. as far as getting these guns off of school campuses Mm -hmm. and college campuses in particular would affect the quality of of learning and the quality of education that students receive and would impede them and and Mm -hmm. cost time and cost money and already exorbitant price for kids to be educated that I can't even imagine what adding additional restrictive measures because mm-hmm. of this gun problem would do. Um, but w- what else can you do but try to, you know, float every single idea possible? Yeah. But good God, there's got to be something better than <laughs> let's let's have a metal detector like, you know, they're going into the Madison Square Garden. Instead, yeah. they're going into their student union. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, definitely universities uh, – certainly have to amp up uh, uh, security, uh, really? uh, you know, uh, security uh, uh, presence on the campus. And I think that, you know, in, in, in major cities, you have to get you have to get the police department involved. The police department has to uh, take as a priority. Uh, I believe ma- maintain the safety of, of of a college campus, not not just the college campus, but the high schools, uh, uh, you know, schools where you have young people uh, attending class, and there has to be a, a, a coordination between them and the people who run these institutions. See, I think you will lose brilliant students when you increase security, or you increase a police presence, or so you increase the type of. Yeah, um, sort of security measures in general, I think, um, are, are probative to keeping certain people out. Um, and I um, I would be yeah, hard pressed to, I think, find people of my age and my mm-hmm. creed that would believe that increased security would make them feel more safe on campus. I would argue it would make them feel less safe, especially students of color. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, and I, and I, and I can I can see that. Um, I do remember when I was working in when I was working in the court system, I was one of the promulgators for uh, that kind of security. Right. And uh, in that in that milieu, of course, and 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 that's a different milieu because right. obviously you're dealing with you know uh, a number of people who might have who might be criminals or have criminal intent. Um, but we we were able to put together a program basically where. Um, it, it, it cut down on 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 certain things that had happened, and also uh, really 
prevented in, in a couple of occasions a couple of things that would have been catastrophic. But as to how you as to how you make the balance between you know academic freedom and the, the feeling that you're in a, in, you're a, safe. in a safe place, I think that um, I think that this university here. Um, I think they've done a terrible job personally. I mean, yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, um, we've had a lot of violent acts at this yeah. university and, and adjacent. And, you know, it's hard. This is Las Vegas, Nevada, right? You know, it's not like we are um, the shining beacon of, you know, um, behavior as far as common criminals are concerned. But, yeah, we have had quite a few startling violent attacks on campus or campus adjacent um, mm-hmm. that have that have shooken, you know, us to our core, I think. Mm-hmm. And these are not only on-campus acts, but these are campus housing, campus adjacent. Mm-hmm. So you can't even be safe then in your own home once you leave the campus because these acts are happening there as well. So, um, yeah, our campus personally, but what do you do? Well, I think I think – in the case of UNLV, UNLV is a diverse institution. Mm-hmm. So my 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 thought and my worry is always about people who are not uh, uh, receptive to the ideals that this university promulgates. Right. And you you I always think about that. How do we uh, um, how do we protect our 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 Faculty, students, administrators, what have you? It's not a it's not a question that's that's easily uh, 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 solved. Uh, but certainly, uh, at the heart of the whole thing is 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 the uh, is the uh, unhealthy access to weaponry. That mm-hmm. that that really is at the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are people who could have a knife, or they could have right. a machete, or they, they could have a, a you know a, a two by four. What is it? What have you? But a lot less damage is done. A, a lot less dam. A lot less damage is done, and. Uh, I think there's a lot of apathy in our society too. Yes, you know, yes. It, it's more. You know, when these when these lives are lost, of course, you know, you 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 grieve, and you know, they have memorials for people, and all that all that stuff is, is as it should be. But you have to, once these things happen, try to formulate a plan of action to 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 try to create a system that that minimizes that risk in the future. And I think, you know, it, it would be an ideal thing, if, particularly on the college campuses, if, the, if they formed a, a nationwide committee of, of, of people who were presidents and chancellors who would work together to try to maybe set up a nationwide program that could be in some way ameliorative of, of what's been going on. Because obviously, uh, the response uh, uh, on... Um, on uh, this a few days ago was not the response that we needed, right. basically, and uh, so 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 that's the first part of our that's the first part of our discourse tonight, and we jump from that into um, the ex vice president Mike Pence, uh, who who never fails to surprise one. Uh, just when you think you have him figured it, figured out as a certain kind right. of person, uh, he disappoints you. Um, but uh, he uh, has um, uh, put forth the idea now that he's not going to honor the subpoena that he's been given related to, relating to testimony about his uh, involvement with the pre- not so much involvement with the president, but his his dealings with the president regarding whether or not he should. Uh, 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 verify the vote in the Congress on January on January sixth, and what what's so so mind boggling to me is this is a man who first of all he wrote a book that's been published 
about what that experience was. So it's not like he kept secret from the world. <laughs> what or, was going on behind closed what doors, What was going on right? behind, behind closed doors. But not only that, not only that, forgetting forgetting all the, just the legalities for a second and getting down to some basic <laughs> human things. Basically, there was an orchestration from the top, mm-hmm. aided and abetted by people who were, you know, organizing, sending these people to the Capitol and amongst the people themselves, who basically their mission, one of their missions, was to kill Mike Pence. Right. To, to, to hang Mike Pence. Literally. And to kill his family. So my question is, if someone is going to kill you and they're going to kill your family, what what sense of misguided loyalty right. would you have to a person who basically to wanted to— Protect those people, to, essentially. To, to protect those people. And the cynic, the cynic in me says, well, he's, the cynic in me says, well, you know, he has an intention of running for president. Really? And, and th- that is the most ludicrous idea. You oh, know? I, right. I, the, the, his shot of getting— um, He inflamed his own base by doing the right thing initially right. on January 6th. Right. And he inflames almost everybody on the left by his mere existence and by the, the vitriol he spews. Yeah. So who's voting for Mike Pence? Yeah. Riddle me this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what voter yeah. is he attractive to? And I don't yeah. mean, you know, I don't mean that to be crass or harsh. I mean that very genuinely. Yeah. Who is he appealing to? Yeah. Well, it's, it's I'm, I'm working my way through a book now called The Divider. Mm-hmm. And it was written by uh, uh, two uh, correspondents for the New York Times. Oh, interesting. And the book, is, the book is really appalling. I've read several books about, you know, the former administration right. and, you know, you know, what happened on January 6th. And, you, you know, you read all these reports, you know, the Mueller report, the report of the House Committee, the, right. the thousands and thousands of pages. But when you, when you read this book, and I'm only, I'm only 200 pages into it out of the 700 pages. Jeez Louise. The, the, the thing that strikes you is... That the previous administration, um, there should have been action taken way, 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 mm-hmm. way before even there was a formal investigation of, by, by Mueller or any of these people about things that were clearly wrong and illegal that were going on. And people were, you know, people were, were, were you know, in the cabinet, people were in, you know, positions of authority in, in, throughout the executive branch. And and um, and 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 did nothing. Mike Pence in particular. Mike Pence in particular, because he was the vice president, right? And he really he really had a duty not to be a, a serf or a lackey, a complacent, right? A complacent. And then you know, going going back to what I started this 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 monologue about, um, he now claims that the reason for the exemption for uh, his not having to honor the subpoena is that he. Uh, is protected under the under the speak and debate clause of the, of the, of the, of the Congress. So actually, that he is actually also in the legislative branch mm-hmm. when he was in also in the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And actually, he's claiming that because he could, he had two acts that he performed. One act, which was a, 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 a being the the fifty first vote right. to pass legislation when Trump was the president. And the second thing is to validate to validate the election under his duty in the Constitution. That makes him part of the legislative branch. Hmm. I mean, the 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 uh, 
I'm going to use a nice word, audacity right. of such a claim is, is really... Uh, wonder what Harvard-educated uh, lawyer recommended him that legal strategy. No. There, there, were, there were plenty of them there. I know there were. Yeah. I know they were. Yeah, that, that's the other interesting thing about it, though. You know, um, being, a, being an, a, an attorney, and, and, you know, Lana soon will be an attorney, it's really mind-boggling when you look at all the people who were in the, in the legal profession who were advising these people. Right. And you didn't know that there was something really wrong there. And what was your duty to, to our country? Um, Don McGahn uh, uh, primarily was, was just one of them, but there were a whole bunch of people who really needed to really be more assertive. And uh, if necessary, if necessary, uh, 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 you know, renounce their job, yeah. renounce their job. But the thing was that the Republican Party and the conservative wing of the party and the donor wing of the Republican Party who had is. contributed yeah. all this money to the, yep. to the campaign was, it was the bargain that they made with a man who they knew was unfit by character, by experience, intellect, uh, intellect the whole deal. He was going to deliver them the Supreme Court. Yes, he was. And, that, and look at what he did. And he did it. And all these other moral failings that he had that would have disqualified any other, any other person, person right? that th they went with it. They went with it. And now, and now they basically have 35 to 40% of their, of their flock that will vote for this man, no matter, no matter what, what he does. does. So w what are you going to do now? And they're, and they're trotting out all these people who are going to run against them. All that's going to do is divide the vote. And he's already started. I mean, he's posting that Ron DeSantis is a groomer because he was like at some college party. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it kind of doesn't even really look like him. The picture. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. So it's like it's already starting. This guy's going to win. I mean, this guy's going to win in the landslide, no matter who they – it could even be Ron DeSantis, who I think I thought in previous shows, you know, I sort of had a little bit of pushback with you about, ah, uh, maybe it will be good old Ronnie Boy. No, it won't be. No, no it won't be. No. It'll be him again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's amazing, though, how – what that appeal is to people. <sighs> and that's what I don't understand. What I don't understand – You know, Professor, he is funny. I mean, I like I – I agree with you 100%. He is unfit in every single capacity you could possibly conjure up to be the president of the United States. But he's kind of funny. And I think that's it. I mean, he's kind of a funny dude. And people like him. And he's got this sort of, like, he's your uncle sort of situation mm -hmm. about him. Despite being an idiot, despite being totally unfit for the job, he's got something likable about him as much as I hate to say and as yeah. much as I feel like he's destroyed the very fiber of our country. Yeah. Something about him. There's some sort of je ne sais quoi that unfortunately Donald Trump possesses that a lot of politicians don't. Yeah. Well, I think I think a lot of it is though. I think a lot of it is though that on the basic issues, um, particularly the race issue. Well, there he says the quiet part out loud. I, I mean, I, that is a big percentage I of think, his base is I that think, he says the quiet parts I out think, loud. I think I think that has a lot to do yeah. with it because if you look from a financial economic point of view, right, as to the benefit to the vast majority of the people who voted for him. There wasn't anything. There wasn't any. It was all for the, you know, the ruling class, the donor class. But they class, got their Supreme Court ruling. And they got the Supreme Court ruling. And it's interesting now, it's interesting now, we, we were discussing this uh, in, the, in one of the classes about uh, 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 Justice Kavanaugh and how uh, um, that whole hearing was like a repeat of Clarence Thomas. In fact, it was worse than Clarence Thomas. And how the, how the FBI was really complicit in not doing a full investigation of that. And, you know, it, it, it's sad that um, uh, 
the uh, 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 what shall we say, position of the FBI was, well, we could only investigate what the president, you know, basically told us. That's ridiculous. ridiculous yeah. I mean, come on. And, and of course, they got... They, they got <laughs> Since when is that how the FBI is operating? Yeah, yeah. but... And, and they got a guy, they got a guy who's, who's still the uh, F, head of the FBI who was basically Chris Christie's attorney. Yep. And he winds up being the head of the FBI. Yeah. But anyway... All right, so uh, marching along, I'm going to give you this one, basically, the, the, the depression issue about the teenage suicide and all that, which is, is heartbreaking. So the professor you know, had informed me about um, you know, some recent scholarship about an increase in depression in teenage girls and sort of leading to suicidality. And I think there's enough research out there to sort of indicate what it is. But from my perspective, you know, the, the strongest arguments, I believe, um, are, of course, social media, probably number mm. one, and the false expectations that that sets on young girls. Um, I was very fortunate um, that I was just starting to go on social media when it wasn't people didn't know what it was mm. yet. And it wasn't like very bizarre curated where bottled blondes are selling you fit tea mm. to make you look like the bottled blonde. I, that was not my experience on mm. the internet. It was still very niche and still you kind of found the subset of people that liked the weird thing you liked. In my case, it was the band One Direction. But if you liked <laughs> certain things, you found that niche and you didn't get exposed to mm. the most beautiful, the most rich, you know, the most spectacular people constantly in a, in a barrage on your feet. And that's, that is genuinely what I think most girls see. You know, mm. they pull up their Facebook, they pull up their Instagram, mm. they pull up their Twitter, and it is just a barrage of people that have things that they do not. Um, and and that, that is a whole new experience on the internet. I don't think that's how initial early experiences on the internet went. Mm -hmm. um, and it is now, unfortunately. And I think it's it's at a, at a rate that it's, it's out of control, right? I mm -hmm. mean, everybody now wants to look like a certain version of a certain girl and have a certain job and a certain mm -hmm. guy and a certain thing. And then when these girls, that's not their lot in life or they don't attain that by X age or they don't see that, you know – future for them mm. that that's what i think creates this insecurity which then festers which then leads to these depressive attitudes or depressive issues which then can lead to something as serious as suicide and yeah. i think it starts there mm. um but also the onus is on the parents professor mm. what are your kids watching mm. what are your kids doing on social media how much time mm. do they spend mm. on social media mm. are they bringing up certain things that draw red flags for you mm. who are they following on social media I'm sorry mom I'm sorry dad you can be on Facebook and see who they're friends with you can be on Instagram and see who mm. they follow you can see those things mm. if you're paying their freaking cell phone bill and you have the audacity to spend $200 a month to expose them to things that make them want to kill themselves <laughs> you have a you have a duty yeah. Sorry. Um, so I think it, it becomes all oh, these young girls looking at these things on Instagram. It's making them sick. Well, their parents can take away the phone. Hello. Zink. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, the, some onus needs to be on these multi-billion dollar companies yeah. too for that's with the kind of product because they were just as successful when they were promoting One Direction or Pokemon or whatever mm. the, the My Little Pony whatever the kids are into these days right they are just as successful promoting niche communities mm. than they are promoting communities of the most beautiful rich women you've ever seen um, but yeah. on the parents on these companies and I do think you know it these little girls should have some incentive to put the phone down and go outside, which makes me sound like a baby boomer. But no. I do notice some difference between how I grew up on the Internet and how kids even 10 years younger than me grew up on the Internet. And yeah. if I had to diagnose it and boil it down to one thing, yeah, probably the phones, probably the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think that uh, 
Um, the internet has been a very uh, two-edged sword. I think that in 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 many ways it's it's been wonderful. It it, it may be one of the greatest maybe the greatest invention that was ever mm-hmm. created by, by humankind. Absolutely. But um, there's another side to it. Um, there was a case in New Jersey, uh, I guess it was a few days ago, where this girl who was 13 or 14 years old committed suicide. Uh, they videoed her being beaten up in the school, and then they posted the video on TikTok. And again, there, there, regu- there, there needs to be. I, I keep saying this, like, a, like a you know regulatory uh, body. There needs to be a regulatory body for stuff involving children who are under the age. That there's certain things that should not be should not be disseminated. And then, and then I feel so guilty because I had a Facebook professor. This is not an exaggeration. At ten years old. At 10 years old is when I made my first Facebook account. Now, what did I have access to? My family up in Wisconsin because I had moved to Florida, right? Mm. So that was the primary reason I had access to it. And I I gained from that, right? Mm. I did. So I do feel like there has to be to wholesale – because my mom didn't have enough time to then watch what I was doing if I was talking to my auntie on Facebook. So then I mm. I feel bad that I make these comments about, oh, it's up to the parents to watch mm. this stuff and – because it's it's hard because these kids mm. it's even if even if you did everything right their friend at school could still have access to these things no mm. matter what regulatory right, body yeah. is doing or what what kind of parental supervision there is so then it's it just has permeated this culture so much that you wonder if anybody could ever get control over it yeah well I I, I, I definitely think the bullying thing is a major issue mm-hmm. and I think children that at that age who have been bullied, and, and you know, I mean, it was you know, it was bullying when you know I was I was growing up, dinosaur creature that I right. am. But it it, it was it was it was a di- it was a different thing. There was no well, there really wasn't any internet then. But even beyond that, though, there's there's a like there should be like a societal responsibility. There should be. I think you know. I don't mean to. I mean this is not a this is not a program promoting religion, but there need, that we have a, a a a moral spiritual problem in this country about really defining what right and wrong yeah. is. This is what really is at the heart of a lot of our problems. Yeah. It's 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 in a lot of ways you you hit on it. You know, with the parents and regulation, uh, where. The children are not being taught certain basic principles of how to behave and how to conduct themselves and what is right and what is wrong. And because then the Internet is such a, pardon my French here, hellscape, that then is so unregulated, Mm. then they see behaviors or certain things Mm. or certain ideals espoused on the Internet with no repercussions. So then what does that teach a child? I can say these things, I can espouse these views, I can behave in that way with no repercussions. So even if it was as simple as, you know, they had no problem. We saw what happened with the president. It's very easy to remove somebody's views or, to- or beliefs off of social media, remove them wholesale mm. off of social media. IP addresses, they're tracking your IP address no matter where you are, what you're doing, mm. it doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, these internet service providers know where you are and who you are and mm. what you're doing. Mm. So we could stop people from having access to social media wholesale and being on these sorts of websites and, and espousing their mm. ideas and then having children believe that that sort of views are okay. But mm. we don't. And I think that would be an easy enough fix. A cheap fix doesn't cost anything yeah. to hit block. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. So 
it, it is interesting to me that, you know, we won't even take the cheap fixes, let alone a regulatory body, let alone forcing the parents to look at themselves in the mirror. We mm. won't even do the cheap fixes, just mm. taking the crazies off the Internet. We won't even do that. Yeah. Well, I think I think that a lot of our the, our problems um, related to social justice and the perpetuation of social injustice is indifference. Right. We have a large, I, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know what the percentages are. I mean, there's a bunch of people in this country who are progressive. Right. And then there's a bunch of people that are racist, let's say. Yeah. And then there's the vast majority of people who aren't racist. They're not really progressive, but they're not racist. Who just, well, you know, today's another day and I'm going to, you know, there's like a lack of awareness about what's going on around you in the world. A lack of curiosity uh, as to how the other people in, the, in, 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 in your sphere, even in your life, in, in your experience during the day are making out. And everything is very, about, very much about myself. Right. It's about me, myself, and I. Well, I think so much of that is kind of the the environment that America has created, right? Where mm. you have to sometimes just live one day at a time because that's all you can do to mm. make ends meet. Sure, sure. Um, you know, not to end the show on such a sour note, but I think for a lot of people, it is everything to just get out of bed and make it to work, feed mm. the kid, you know, and yeah. so they can't think beyond, you know, mm. how we and you and I can afford to have these very, you know, complex co- conversations mm. about the intertwinings of politics mm. and life. And I don't know if some people, yeah. not only do they not have the, you know, sort of, this sounds terrible and elitist a little bit, but they don't have the sort of vernacular vocabulary to have those conversations. They don't have the time. They don't have the money. They don't have the experience. They don't have the people around them that would support them to have that conversation with them. So I, you know, there is some level of guilt that rises in with me because I was that kid not 10 years ago. So I don't, yeah, it's hard because yes, people don't care and complacency might be the death of this country, but a lot of those people don't have the means to care. Uh And so that might start with giving people the means to bring themselves to care. So with that, um, Thank you for listening. You know, the professor and I do want to take questions about this show or any concerns or any suggestions for topics that you might have for us. Um, go ahead and send those to my email address. And this is through the UNLV school. So that was that would be W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at unlv.nevada.edu. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next Thursday. Thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at nevada.unlv.edu or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's Charles.Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N at unlv.edu. See you next time. time.